Hey everyone, welcome to the Sober Truth Podcast. This is your uh, famous leader here, <laughs> uh, George, and I am just really excited for today because we are here with um, an organization that I've really enjoyed getting to know more about and um, I truly respect them and I am excited to bring them to our audience. Um, but you, if you haven't heard of Reboot Recovery, you're about to hear about them. And it's really fitting that it's on this in this month of May where it is Trauma and Mental Health Awareness Month. And we are here with one of the, uh, as far as I can find, one of the best organizations that's out there right now for doing training on trauma, especially in, the, in a faith context. There is not a lot of organizations that are even attempting this, uh, let alone doing it as long as they've done it and as well as they've done it. So I'm really excited to let you get to know one of the co-founders, Mr. Evan Owens, and his story and where they're at today with uh, Reboot Recovery. So Evan, welcome. Man, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation. And uh I'm sure everyone who's listening is like, oh, great, we're going to listen to um, talk about trauma and grief and shame and regret and all these awesome, <laughs> uplifting topics for the next uh, 40. Someday I just want to be on a podcast where I talk about like sunshine and rainbows the whole time, you know, yep. so, yep. Uh, but unfortunately that's not what I was called to do. So it's, it's all good. Yeah. It's funny because um, if our listeners is pretty much already expect that from me, so nice uh, uh, yeah nice. yeah if you, if, if you weren't depressed before the podcast you will be afterwards <laughs> that is so true man if you weren't depressed before there's a good chance we can get you depressed we can get you there we can get you there um we actually i did a live stream <laughs> last week with um you know brit the 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 co-author yeah, of the yeah. book that we have coming out and at the by the end of the live stream, I had her in tears and <laughs> she's like, I don't know why I'm crying right now. She's like, I just talked to you and I'm crying. I'm like, well, it's par for the course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was, I actually did a uh, interview with um, death to life revolution, which is one of the online um, premier online uh, suicide prevention websites that uh for made for teens and young adults um their founder not too long ago and we had the same same sort of topic that uh yeah we're not the sunshine and rainbows people you know i, I was actually mentioning to him he's like when the book comes out you really need to get out and speak and do a lot of speaking i'm like well I'm usually a one and one and done speaker. <laughs> People don't you ask me back a second time. They like what I have to say and they think I say it well, but it's like, okay, that's that's a little depressing. We're gonna get somebody else in here. Where's where's Joel Olstein right. when you need him? So <laughs> <laughs> oh, Yeah, man. man. But um yeah, just so welcome. I am so uh honored that you're here and um it's so funny because um, it was just, you know, months ago when I said to Cole, who works with me, I'm like, man, take a shot. Here's this organization. I really respect them. Just, you know, they're pretty well established. Take a shot and see if they'll talk to us. And so, you know, it's funny if you look at the emails, we're like, please talk to us. You know, it's... <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we're a, we're a pretty big deal. I mean, have you noticed I got a fake plant here in my well, podcast? That, that means you've, you've so made I'm it. Pretty big. I've made it, man. Yeah, you've made yeah. it. If you have a, a fake like fake a, plant, like a miniature palm tree or something, I don't even know what it is. There you go. So yeah, you've arrived. Um, so yep, Evan, yep. tell us um, about you. Your you know, give us the the bio story of Evan Owens. Oh my gosh. Well, it's a, it's being made into a Hollywood biopic, I'm sure, because it's, <laughs> it's that riveting. Um, yeah, so I think, let me just start here. Let me start with the end. What, what Reboot Recovery does, let me start there, because that'll sure. kind of explain my story. Reboot Recovery is a faith-based organization that empowers everyday people to lead trauma healing courses in their community. And all of our programs, we have hundreds of locations around the world. We have you know, English curriculum, Spanish curriculum, Ukrainian curriculum, all this kind of stuff. And it's amazing to me that if you look back just a few years in history, not even that long ago, the idea of peers, everyday people being able to help somebody with mental health, being able to help somebody through trauma was seen as irresponsible. It was seen yeah. as reckless. It was seen as sort of dangerous almost. But we really had this deep-seated belief that authentic, loving, trusting community, that common sense uh, care, that that people being in your life for no other reason than that they love you and that they care about you and that they're in your life, that that those relationships truly could heal. Um, and, and that's what we've done. And so we're mobilizing kind of the largest peer-led response to trauma and suicide ever built. And... Uh, and it's going really well. And God's sending workers of the harvest to come alongside of us Amen. and join us in this effort. And um, and it's super cool to see how so many people are taking their pain, they're recycling it into purpose, and now they're helping other people. My background was I actually came from the music world. I was a musician growing up and went to college for music and became a songwriter. And then after after epically failing at that, um, <laughs> I... Uh, I decided to go work for this little tech startup and this technology company at the time was building websites. For those of you who are listening, uh, who are under the age of 30, websites didn't always exist. We actually had to, you know, this was yeah. like a new thing back in the day. And uh, so we were building websites and through a series of crazy events I won't get into right now, I ended up becoming the CEO of this company. And it was pretty fantastic. We were an Inc. 5000 company, fastest growing inner city companies in, in America. I mean, just this really cool, this neat thing that was happening. At the same time, God was birthing something, and my wife and I, she had moved up to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. She had accepted a position with the Department of Defense, and her background is way cooler than mine. You should have her on instead of me someday, but <laughs> she um, she specializes in traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress disorder. And wow. so they recruited her to come up and lead, be part of a leadership team at a clinic working with combat veterans to really determine if they were ready to return to duty, RTD, to return to duty or not. And so these conversations that she was having often ended up sort of leaving the realm of occupational therapy and moving into the realm of faith and, and spirituality and questions about why do bad things happen to good people if God is so loving, all these kind of questions. And that was really the genesis of her and I inviting people into our living room, having conversations. I'm running the company in Nashville. She's doing this. And then all of a sudden now in the evenings, we're having these little micro groups, having conversations about that intersection where faith and trauma collide. And that was the genesis of really what changed our whole life and led to what I do today. When was that? That would have been 2010, wow. 2011. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And where were you? We've been at it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where were you living then? Uh, Nashville area. Yeah. We're, and we're still in, in the larger, we live in a little suburb of it called Clarksville, which is, 
kind of uh, closer to Fort Campbell, to Kentucky, which is right on the border. Gotcha. And now mm-hmm. let's talk about the, um, you know, really the progression of Reboot because, um, you know, for me, I uh, started the Timothy Initiative back in 2009, and that was this organization that works with, you know, men coming out of brokenness, typically addiction. And, um, you know, what we started as, okay, was not who we are today. And so we started as originally like this, this street level in the urban, you know, area where there was a lot of homelessness and drug addiction. And, and originally we weren't even homes. We were just going to be resources to help people get off the streets, but definitely not for our homes. And now today, here we are, however many years later, with four homes, housing 35 men. We have the Sober Truth Project, which deals with mental health and suicide. We have all these other organizations and outreach and resource centers. So it's been this like really cool transition from one thing to the next thing to the next thing because it's really been God leading along the way. Um, I'm just, I see where you guys are at today and, and, and I definitely we want to hear today about where you're headed in the future, but you didn't start off here. So you went right. from your living room to yeah it's been quite a journey so like i said we started off with our living room with some um you know lukewarm spaghetti and an open heart and an open mind and um it's pretty incredible that through that season of time um we would spend i'm not exaggerating we would spend three or four nights a week sitting across from people or groups of people just listening and asking questions about their trauma and about their lives and about their stories and what they were feeling and how they were handling this. And one of the most common questions I get is well, what qualifies me to do this work? You know, did I go and get a degree in, in my clinical psychologist or whatever? And, you know, it's kind of interesting because for about four and a half, almost five years, every single week, four or five nights a week, I was sitting with people learning sort of the the spiritual roots, if you will, of trauma, these wounds that happen to our soul. Yeah. And so that began to be really our question, this idea that if, if trauma can wound your mind, nobody debates that. Trauma can wound your body, nobody debates that. Nobody really ha- ever asks, can trauma wound my soul? And if so, what would the symptoms and solutions or healing tactics, if you will, of a wounded soul be? And so we started identifying these key soul wounds and out of that really birthed the curriculum. And so we first released that curriculum within the military community. Um, by 2015, it became really evident things were not going well in my other company. It was clear that God was frustrating that in order to kind of propel me. I think about that verse in Luke 9 or 10, I think it is, where he says, you know, go, I'm sending you out like like sheep among wolves. And that word go is like this thrusting, right? Like I'm pushing you out of the nest. And that's how I felt. I felt like I was kind of being like, you know, I've got all this 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 awesomeness. I've got all these fish that I've just caught all this money. We're dual income, no kids. Life is amazing. And he's saying, leave these fish and go do this other thing, you know, leave this, go, go. And so we did. So in 2015, we quit our jobs because who likes stability and income? And we decided (laughs) to to do this and and make it all in. And uh, God sent us some workers right away. He he sent us a guy to join our team who uh, really was a, a big part of what we did for about seven years. Um, and we wrote a formalized a curriculum and we said, Hey, let's see if we can start training other people like us yeah. to do this program. So we released the military program. And within the first year, I think we had about 50 or 60 military cities around the world doing the program and word spread. And then in 2018, um, 
we had a military group actually down the street from the Pulse nightclub shooting. Some of you listening might remember that, that there was a, a nightclub with a mass shooting. And some of the first responders came in. They said, hey, we saw combat recovery. We, we've never been to war, but what we just went through looks a lot like a combat scene. Can you help yeah. us? And so we had a chance to work with them. And out of that really birthed this vision for what if we could do this for the first responder community. So rather than take our military curriculum and just reskin it and change, you know, control F, find all, replace all veteran first responders, we wrote an entirely new curriculum. I wrote, we, my wife and I had a chance to write it with Chris and Rimmela Adsit, who are renowned leaders in first responder trauma. They joined our team and, and we merged kind of efforts. Um, that program did the same thing. Military program kept growing. The first responder program continued growing. And then in 2020, we, um, we saw COVID coming and I made a comment at lunch. I said, it would be really cool if we could write a little miniature web series and we would call it Reboot Crisis Course, what not to do when crisis strikes. I said, because we've said, and we've heard thousands upon thousands of stories of people that went through trauma, went through crisis. And now if they could sit across from me, they'd say, here's what I did. And here's why you should not do those things. Do these things instead of these things. And we identified the four default human responses to trauma that make things worse, which is we deny, we cry, we numb, and we run. And those four things. And I said, let's throw this web series together. So we literally got like an iPhone. We designed the workbook, wrote the curriculum, recorded all the teaching videos and everything in a matter of like six days from start to finish. I mean, everything. Wow. Huge, fast project. The video quality is mediocre at best. Audio quality is terrible. I mean, literally as low budget as you could do it. Mm-hmm. And when you know it, of course, the low budget product that we created and gave was the one that like blew up yep. and um, our intentions were so pure to say, hey, if you're going through a hard time, like be prepared. Here's what not to do. And that ended up, I guess, going viral, some might say, and, and it got us featured by Health and Human Services. I had a chance to brief the White House. We were on really? media appearances around the country. I mean, all this incredible thing began to happen. Out of that led a conversation with some book publishers. They ended up signing us to write a book through Baker Books, which is the division called Ravel. It comes out in September. All this kind of stuff. Um, and so by the end of that year, I said, we should write a curriculum for everyone, a trauma healing curriculum for everyone. And so I took about 12 weeks and I disappeared and I only used about six weeks of it. And um, my wife and I, and, and I have to say, I've done a lot of writing and teaching in my life on this subject and it really did feel different. I mean, from the first opening sentence to the last sentence, it felt really like God wanted to share something with a generation that is experiencing um, the, the, the demise of resilience and the, the crushing of hope. And so we wrote this curriculum and I hit send, sent it off to the editor and it's been truly amazing. I mean, we launched it in um, January of 21 and I think we already have a hundred locations around the world. It's in Spanish, it's in English. It's uh, it'll be at probably 200 locations by the end of the year. I mean, it's, it's just truly been a move of God and to see these people stepping up all over the country. It's, it's not really about what Jenny and I do. It's really about what these local leaders and these communities, yeah. they're, they're, they're world changers. They really are. That's amazing. I think, um, you know, uh, in, in my time of ministry since 2006, it is literally a different world right now than it was three years ago. I'm, yeah. I mean, obviously we can point to COVID and all of that. And of course that's a huge player in this, but I don't think people realize just how much has actually changed 
And I, I believe there's still this void that's, a, you know, in a way, a vacuum between what the people are hungry for and uh, people like yourself that are actually giving it. Because people, you know, there was this time when, I mean, talking about trauma would have fell on completely deaf ears. Talking about resilience, you would have had to explain it to 50% of the people you brought up the word resilience yeah. to. Um, Tell me about it. So many words have now <laughs> entered into the vernacular that were not there three years ago. And the potential yeah. is, is, so, is so ripe right now for good, authentic people like yourself that are really trying to help. And, and I, I hate to say this, but there's going to be this time frame between the vacuum and to the oversaturation. And so right now we're in the vacuum. So you get this book coming out and, and, uh, you know, it's going to be amazing. I already know that. And, and all this type of like services that you're offering, which are good. And, and it's just a matter of time. And I hate to say this before people figure out a way to monetize the basic right. needs of people. It's already happened. Yeah. It's already happened. It's happening. Yeah. And, and so I mean, then, I mean, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Good. Yeah. No, I mean, even, yeah, I, I remember four or five years ago speaking at conferences and being the outcast. I mean, this idea that you're saying I spent $350,000 for the degree on my wall that says I can help people. How could you possibly do that with just a, with a little training and a curriculum? And it was seen as offensive. And then yeah. now you fast forward and the state of Tennessee, the national government has issued a, a training certification called peer support specialists mm -hmm. that are people that go get trained, they get certified and then guess what? They can bill to be your peer. So now it's all about coding. So, you know, it's like now we're billing for it. And, and my point with that is, while I love the peer support specialist model in some ways at the minute that I'm paid to be your friend, we're no longer just friends. Yep. You know, it changes the dynamic. I think what has to happen in our communities is we have to say, I'm here for no other reason than I'm here for you. Like that's why I'm here. And I'm going to get out of this, this, this need to monetize everything and I'm going to do it because it's the right thing. And I'm going to invest in you because you're worth it. And, um, you know, and, and I think now it's same, it's funny, those same groups of people are inviting us to come speak, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, but you're right. I see, I see about 50 books that have come out in the past few months by people that, you know, they're writing on the subject of trauma. And it's just really ironic to me because, you know, I say this in love and grace, but also I feel like I've been around this topic long enough to know, like, it's my role to also speak the truth, even if it's not convenient. Yeah. And the truth is a lot of the people who are writing books on this have never tested what they're telling people. They've never taken the medicine. They don't know if it's going to work or not. Right. You know, it's not proven. And I think that's one of the things that, that worries me a little bit is we're going to get sort of this self-help with a bit of faith thrown in there, thrown out predominantly with this like bio story of here's how I dealt with my trauma. That, that I can tell you that doesn't work for a lot of people. It might mm -hmm. be inspiring, but it's, it, you know, it might be relieving, but it won't be restoring. Yep. And I think that's the big risk. Yeah. I think, um, and uh, I'm happy those books are being written. I'm happy that we're talking about trauma more in some ways. I'm in some ways. That. Right. Well, I, I think yeah. one of the, um, I forget the guy's name, but, uh, uh, Vanderbeek, maybe the, when the body keeps the score, um, one of the main guys secular that started talking, you know, studying and, researching trauma in the 70s 80s early on yeah um yeah. i he i've seen him talking about trauma-informed care and right. he absolutely hates the name because 
you know, some people may, they come to him, they're like, aren't you happy? There's so much more trauma informed care. And he's like, no, because that means different things to different people. That's right. And, and everybody's putting under this one very important title heading, all different sorts of things. And it's not right. all trauma informed care. And so right. there are people that are coming along saying, you know, making a slight twist on what they did last week. And now it's trauma-informed care when it's not, it's, right. it's a twist on what you did last week. And that's right. so dangerous to the long-term understanding because the same people that were naysayers before are going to feel justified down the road when some stuff is not really validated. Right. And that's why, you know, at the end of the day, we feel like, we feel like our local leaders, you know, when someone is personally invited into an opportunity to heal that's unique it's not about reboots ability to mass market it's not about our ability to become influencers because i don't want that it's not our ability to sell the most books that is not what we are trying to build here what we're trying to build is a completely decentralized yeah. local community solution to trauma where people who love you who work at the same jobs who live in the same communities shop at the same grocery stores play in the same ball teams go to the same churches can reach out to you and say hey Let's talk, and I'm going to be here for you before the conversation, during, yeah. and after, whether you accept what I have to say or not. And that is something that I don't care what the clinical world wants to do. It can't do that. It can't because the, the healthcare business cannot love people the way that I can love you or the way that you can love me. And I think that's the part that that's Christ's love on display, you know, and I think yeah. that that's where, where we see. But to your point, the word trauma is also interesting. Um, you know, if I was to go to my dad and say, hey, dad, tell me about a traumatic experience you've had, he would probably talk about something in Vietnam or he would talk about, you know, maybe the miscarriage they had. But that'd be about it. Right. I mean, he would he would have a difficult time coming up with anything else. And he may not even call those things traumatic. Yet, if I was to go to someone who was 17 today and say, tell me about a trauma you experienced, they would have a list of 50 items. And so one of the things that I've really witnessed and I've done a lot of research on this is the clinicalization of everyday language. That, that previous generations looked at difficulty, they looked at suffering, they looked at challenges in life as part of life. Now we look, them as, look at it through a new lens of mental health care. We look at it through the lens of something that should, that we don't deserve, we don't, we don't, we don't, we shouldn't have to put up with. Right. This is an inconvenience that we should be able to avoid. And so therefore anything that's unpleasant to some degree to a certain percentage and everybody's percentage is different becomes a clinical problem. And there are anxiety disorders. I want you to hear me if you're listening, like there are clinical issues with anxiety, clinical issues with depression, clinical trauma. There's all these real things, right? And I want to validate that fully. And I am pro the mental health industry. I'm pro mental health providers. I'm married to an occupational therapist for Pete's sakes. But I also think that on the flip side, there are people now who have over clinicalized language for the sake of money, for the sake of billing that it's gotten in, in the way of helping people who have truly experienced trauma. That, you know, when you say like, oh, you know, something bad happened today and it was just super traumatic. It's like, no, it wasn't. Like, let's be careful. Let's be sensitive to the language that we're using. Um, and think about it when we clinicalize language as things that should have been part of suffering experience, part of the everyday life experience, as clinical problems to be solved. Imagine the stress that puts on us 
Yeah. Imagine the, the, the fragmentation of our minds and souls that that causes, because instead of saying suffering is part of life, like Jesus says, in this world, you have trouble. Instead of saying that and saying this is meant to help me persevere, to develop character, to produce hope, like Romans says, instead of those outcomes, now we're saying these are problems to be solved rather than friends to be embraced. Yeah. And that fundamentally shifts the conversation. That's what's happened in society. People say, why is suicide so common? And I say that. That's the, uh, that's the root that I've found in all of our research. Really? That's pretty powerful. You know, I did a, we, I did a live stream just this morning about um, talking about trauma and mental health. And, uh, you know, I, I gave this big T, small T example that you hear a lot of times in, in clinical languages of the big trauma being something that happens to you, you know, abuse, uh, violence of some sort. And the small T being something yeah. that you perceive, you know, something that happens around you, but you perceive it internally and it leaves a lasting yeah. impact on you and it alters the way that you view the world in some way. So it's not what happens to you. It's what happens within you. But right. everything that happens around you isn't something happening within you. And when we overclinicalize the language, then everything is this small T and it's actually not. And that does take away from our ability to, hey, yeah, this situation happened, but this is meant to make me um, more resilient, which right. is what the interesting thing I found in my studies is poverty. Okay, so children raised in extreme poverty tend to have way more trauma. Um because of obvious reasons, right? There's, there's not right. a, multiple right. parents in the home. There's not enough money to put food on the table. There's lots of people living in one, all that stuff. And so lots of trauma can happen. More trauma happens to, you know, especially big T trauma happens to a person living in an inner city in extreme poverty. But the interesting thing I found is long-term if that person is to make it out of that situation and go through trauma in the future, they are more equipped to handle that trauma than an upper middle class person who had trauma happen as a child and then once again as an adult. Because within them, internally, the resilience is still there from what they've overcame in the past. And so sort of looking at it as this like, all small t trauma, all trauma can't, we can't make it all so monumental that it, everything is destroying us. Everything is, you know, killing us because right. some of it is making us stronger. And when we f do have unexpected trauma in the future, if we handled our stuff before better, we'll be able to handle that in the future. That's the resilience part that I, I think so many people don't even see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, there's three types of trauma there's, and, and you know, I've heard the big T, little T, but I mean, more on a, a kind of a structured approach, there's acute, which is a single event, you know, there's chronic, which is a single type of event for a long period of time. And then there's complex, which is different types of trauma. And whether or not, you know, it makes us stronger, I, I think that's probably true, maybe in the long run, if we overcome it, I think that's true. Um, but, but even the word stronger, I try to say it actually that we can find purpose in it and that we can find, um, that, that we can find healing through it. Yeah. And stronger is not the, it's not the we, right word. Yeah. You're yeah. Right. But stronger, stronger is a piece of it, but I think that that can put pressure on a person who's just gone through of trauma course. to like, 
instantly be like, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And after being around a lot of people who have gone through hell on earth, I can tell you that phrase of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is not true in the short term. It's not true in the short term. Um, And stronger in the sense of physical, mental, emotional strength. But I think about Romans, right? Like we rejoice in our suffering. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. That word character is probably a better description than the word resilience. Resilience is sort of what clinicians have come up with because character sounds too moral focused. But this idea of character being produced, of resilience, of, of hope being produced, I always talk about this as a math equation, like to get to the hope, think about that as a math equation. We rejoice in our suffering. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. So what's the math equation? Well, to have hope, we have to have what? Suffering. If you remove suffering, we miss out on the hope. But the focus of most folks and most, even myself, when we've gone through difficult times is take away the suffering. God, God, medicine, clinician, whoever it is, please take away this pain. And I get it. That's a human reaction. I'm not judging that. But what I'm saying is in that, believe it or not, that's where hope is produced. And that's the, the upside down world that Christ created where we reframe, we recycle things that were meant to be trash in our lives and we recycle them for treasure. And then that recycled good, just like a toothbrush that's recycled out of used tires or whatever it is, it's not just something that I use. It's something that benefits a lot of different people. When, when, a, when a piece of trash is recycled, it goes into 50, 10 cans all over the world or whatever it is, or 50 recycled, whatever it is, our roads that we all drive on, whatever it is. You said it benefits everybody. And I think that, um, you know, what I see right now with, with a lot of the people we're working with is um, – Yes, there were bad things that happened to them. There were. That's usually the more acute trauma or the chronic trauma. The piece that they miss out on is this clump. They miss out on the complex trauma. And the reason is, is that they think of trauma through the lens of bad things that happened to me. I have found that some of the most damaging trauma to young people is the absence of good things. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's like they never experienced unconditional love. They never learned how to forgive. They never knew what it was like to have somebody there to greet them when they got up from school. They never knew all those kinds of things. That's the, that's where, that's where we learn character. That's where we learn how, what right looks like. And um, that's the heartbreaking part for me is a lot of the things that we teach are not earth shattering to somebody who grew up in a socially intelligent and a socially emotionally intelligent home. But a lot of things that we teach, people have never heard them because no one told them. Right. And if no one tells them, how can they know? And, um, you know, and I think that's what they, they may not accept that from a preacher. They might not accept that from a doctor, but they'll accept it from somebody who really loves them as their friend. You know, who they look up to. I, I was we were talking about that just before where there's actually studies that show, you know, I believe in counseling 100 percent. I go to a counselor. I saw my counselor earlier yeah, or just yesterday. But. There's studies that show that, you know, a counselor is actually no more effective than a trusted, loving, you know, compassionate friend that sits and has the ability to become attuned with with what you're going through that is authentic, that is um, consistent, um, you know, hearing you out, not giving, you know, just random advice, but just that person um, is just as effective as a counselor because yeah. of, a counselor is paid 
it's uh, it's a brief moment in time. You walk into an office, you're inside those four walls for an hour, and maybe they give some really great advice or explain to you some concepts that you don't understand, but it's all head knowledge, and you still have to walk out into the world, and you don't actually have a relationship with that person outside of that office, and you're not even supposed to ethically. And so you know, you know, you need people that are actually in your life to reflect the, the knowledge right. that you've learned. And, and so that's that person that you go through life with. Right. No, that's so good. And, and I mean, I think that, you know, the, the cool part about what we're seeing too, in this trauma healing community that we're, we're launching all over the, the place. I think the, the neat part too, is the, long-term solution of it all. Like there's this idea that, you know, most people can't afford to attend a mental health, to meet with a clinician for very long. Once their insurance hits eight to 10 appointments, they kind of run out. Some people can afford that weekly meeting, but a lot of us can't. And so because of that, I love this idea that Reboot's also serving as a really great before and after care solution to the clinical solution. So like, great, go do your eight appointments, your insurance care score, go do that inpatient thing that you need. Do what you need clinically. We're here for you beforehand. If there's a wait list, we're here for you afterwards to say, hey, you're going to be part of our community when you come back for as long as you want to be part of our community because we, we're here for you. And I think that's the, the cool marriage between the science and the faith and, and sort of the blending of those two things that's happening that I think is just really um it's just really special. I'm really grateful to be a part of it. Yeah, I think it's a it's a beautiful thing that you're doing. And we're so aligned in uh, so many ways that you don't even realize where I'm sitting here thinking, you know, a big part of what I'm trying to do with the book that's coming out this summer is basically what you did with trauma, where letting people know in the world that you don't have to be a, a drug addict to understand how to walk with pers- a person through their addiction. You don't have to be an expert on that. You don't have to be an expert on a, you know, the same things that you talk about with mental health and, and, you know, suicide prevention. It's really about just being the people that Jesus called us to be when he said, love your neighbor as yourself, love God with all your heart, mind, and spirit. It's like, it's spelled out for us, but the, and I don't, it's not that I'm an anti AA or anti NA. It's just that I am anti the word anonymous because it's done so mm-hmm. much harm to people. I, I would never take away a addict or a person's agency to remain anonymous if they felt like they needed to. But what I do come against is the rest of the world uses that as a reason to not get involved in walking with people through their, through whatever it is they're going through. You're supposed to be mm. anonymous. There's a group for you people over there. And it, and it kind of alleviates responsibility on the rest of the world to actually recognize their part in how a person ended up the way that they ended up. And the truth is, we need each other to heal. We need each other to live a full life. And so coming you know, out of anonymity and walking into this fulfilled life that Christ died to give us is part of the gospel it's part of what jesus you know really called us to and so many people just want it's just natural instinct to want to keep you know this group over here that group over there and not have any responsibility in between but the reality we're all responsible for each other to some degree 
you know, that's that's just part of living living life in this world. Yeah, no, I, I think that's good, man. And I think I had never thought about the idea that the anonymous word. I had never thought about that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I had not thought about that before. I think that um, with with what I do, I've had to get really comfortable being really outside of my element. You know, I mean, think about it. I'm a civilian and my dad's a Vietnam vet, but still imagine being a civilian walking into a, a giant cafeteria called a PX with thousands of people in uniform. And you're one of the only people not in uniform and having to just walk up to cafeteria tables and say, Hey, I don't know anything about what you've been through. I know you look at me and think that I'm a loser, but I care about you. We're doing this thing called review this free food. And we're going to talk about faith and trauma. Yeah. Do you want to come? I mean, and I think that God rewarded that boldness Mm -hmm. and that faithfulness. And, um, I look back on it and I'm in, in, honestly, I'm in all of the courage that the Lord gave me to do it because I'm not sure I would do it today. You know, that insecurity would probably overtake me, but in that boldness of the moment. And I think there's probably people listening who they felt that boldness of the moment where God's called them to say, do more than just sit in the sidelines and cheer people on, you know, get in the game. Don't be a coach. Don't even be a, a fan, get in the game. And they felt that boldness, but they've been They've been un- they've been ashamed or worried. Well, I don't have the credentials. Well, I wasn't I wasn't an addict. I didn't go through that. I went through some stuff, but I wouldn't call it trauma. Or you know, I'm not a cop. I can't help the police officers in town here that have been through hell over the last year. I'm not a whatever it is. And my experience is, if you love people well, and if if they say you don't know what I've been through, just say you're right. So tell me. Yeah. Like you're right. I don't know. I'm not pretending to know. I'm not even trying to compare. You know. And, and there's this idea that, well, I can only talk to a group of people who understand what I've been through. And that is true. That's why I facilitate. But guess what? That's why I'm just the facilitator. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a room full of me and one person who's gone through a rape situation or gone through sexual abuse or gone through domestic violence. It's a room full of people who have gone through that kind of stuff. And just me saying, let's love one another well. Yeah. And I think that if you're feeling that boldness, I just encourage people that, man, the adventure awaits. Like it is so freaking awesome. Yeah. And there's bad days. There's days I get super discouraged. You know, I mean, trauma work is, you know, people ask all the time. They say, Evan, how has, how has leading reboot, you know, first they ask me two questions. Did you ever think reboot would get as big as it has been? And I always say, of course, I think it's going to be bigger yeah. because if I didn't think it was going to be as big as what I have, I mean, would I quit my job? Would I have, I mean, of course I knew God was doing something cool. That's why I jumped ship and was like, let's do this. You know, on the flip side, they say, well, how has it changed you? And I, and I always say this, it has taught me to never underestimate the depravity of mankind. That every time I think I've heard the worst story, somebody tells me a new one in a one-on-one conversation that just breaks my heart in a new way. And so I'm just telling you all, if you're listening, like there are people in your town that are hurting. And they are waiting, not on a doctor. They're not waiting on you to bring them to the ER. They're not waiting on you to, to, to send them a book. Even though I love books, they're not, they don't want you to, it's like going to a person that's drowning saying, here's a book called how to swim. Yep. They're not looking for that. They're looking for that person who's going to jump in, who already knows how to swim and say, I got you. And I just want to challenge your listeners to do it, to step up and do it because there's people who are drowning. They're dying, waiting on an invitation to heal. 
Amen, man. And I can't even, I can't even say enough for what, about what you just said. Where the truth is, it's like God rewards the obedience to boldness, like unlike anything else. When He calls us yeah. to something that is so far out of our realm, and we actually do it, it's it's amazing the adventure that God puts us on. I never in my wildest dreams thought my life would be where it is today. And it's all been because God sees me step into realms where I'm like, I have no position to step here, but God, and he's calling That's us it. to so much more. I, I've been telling, this has been this thing I've been on lately about the Garden of Gethsemane and how Jesus calls his disciples in the garden to, to pray with him and to stay awake. And, you know, they fall asleep and he wakes them up and he says, can't you stay awake? Don't you pray with me? And they fall asleep again. Mm -hmm. Did we ever really consider why was Jesus calling them to pray with him? Their prayers certainly weren't going to change what was about to happen. They certainly weren't going to make a difference in what was going to happen. So why? And I, and I believe it's because he didn't want to be alone in his trauma. He wanted someone to be there with him to bear witness to his pain. And God calls us to those moments where you can't change it. You can't fix it. You can't do anything other than be there with that person in that moment, bearing witness for God right. to that pain. And that is this boldness that God calls us to when we are really working with people that are yeah. desperately need in need of real healing, real care, real love. Right. Right. Dude, that's it, man. I, yeah. And I just love your heart for that. I know your story as well. And, and just, um, you know, I think that even, you know, where you chose to live, we have a lot in common. I mean, we moved to an yeah. all military community, you <laughs> know, and, uh, and, you know, but, but yeah, I think that, you know, there is a, um, you're right. There is a window of time where this trauma talk is going to be all present. However, sadly, it's not going away. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that, if Reboot was put out of business because we addressed all of the trauma that was needed and other organizations addressed it all, praise God. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, as long as mankind keeps sinning against one another, we're going to keep having trauma. And um, and so, you know, there's just a, and, and I mean, you look one third of every college students right now, one out of three takes a daily mood altering drug to deal with the stress of life. Yeah. You know? You've got uh, second leading cause of death, ages 18 to 40, suicide only behind accidental death and overdose. Yep. Um, you've got the average life expectancy of an uh, American has shrunk for the fourth year in a row for the first time in human history, not because we're not living longer and not because we're dying as babies, but it's because we're killing ourselves through addiction and suicide at such a high rate in the middle that we've swung the bell curve. And so... You know, I, I speak at churches a lot. And my, my friend, Dr. Matthew Sleeth, he, he gave me this idea. And when I speak, I remember one of the things that he asks that I stole. So I want to make sure that he's the footnote here. Okay, I took it okay, from him. Okay, gotcha. He speaks, he speaks on suicide. And he, he, um, he starts off his talk and he says, how many of you have encountered someone in your life who's dealt with suicide or someone in your life who's taken their life? How many of you encountered suicide? And, you know, a third of the room, two thirds of the room's hands go up. So he goes, how many people have ever heard a sermon or a talk in a church on the subject? Yeah. Never, never does a hand go up. And so the part that I'm excited about is it's time for the 
it's time for the church to, to, again, we offer something that's truly unique. We don't just offer relief. You know, the world can offer relief. That's not, we're not in the coping business, <laughs> you know, and we're not, and we're not even saying, Hey, you know, we're going to make your symptoms go away. That's false promise. That's, that's, that's prosperity promises. I'm saying you can live a life full of purpose and meaning and joy and hope and fulfillment in spite of those symptoms. Amen. Amen. You know how I know because we serve a man of such sorrows, you know? And so I think that's the unique message that if the church can reclaim its rightful spot on that, that, um, mantle, right. Of care, if the church can start being a lighthouse and a, and a center of place for people who have gone through trauma as a place that, that shames them or that says what I encounter all the time, big churches, they've got one pastoral counselor on the team who basically triages them. You come to him, he meets with you 15 minutes and he refers you to an external secular counselor. Let's stop doing that. Right. Let's right. make that referral and let's create a safe place for them in our church. Amen. Let's do both. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and that's what we're, you and I are part of, man. That's why our work is so yeah. fun. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I honestly feel like we have some, you know, work to do together where I think part of the world still doesn't even really understand the fact that the majority, anybody that is a hardcore drug addict has went through trauma. Not all Everybody. people that go yep. through trauma become addicts, but every addict that is is hardcore had been through trauma. And so we keep yes. thinking men are men and women are just drug addicts because of choice. It's like, no, often it's trauma. Often the trauma may even be related to the same parents that are now saying, Why my son or daughter can't get, you know, sober, I don't understand. So there's a rebellion yes. against listening to the whole trauma aspect of addiction. But when you talk about how you went through your phase with the military and then, you know, first responders and then towards, you know, just kind of everyone, I think you got another whole manifest of books coming out about how people in addiction have been through traumatic experiences to become addicts. And then in our addiction, some of the That's traumatic right. stuff that we did is the very same stuff that we can't let go of Thank when God. it becomes time to try to get sober. Because we've a lot of us have done some really messed yeah. up stuff out there on the streets, dude. That's the four things, right? We said yep. we deny, which is uh, we relabel. What what happened to me wasn't really trauma. It was just my dad drank a lot, or he was a firm disciplinarian, or you know, it wasn't really inappropriate touching. It was just you know, maybe I should have been whatever it was. We relabel. That's we deny it, right? We deny, we cry, which is where not not that emotion shouldn't be, but that we we have uncontrollable emotions. Because we're denying, we start having these bursts of anxiety, these bursts of rage, these bursts of things, because it's like food poison. I always say trauma is going to come out one way or another. It's going to come out, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So we either deny or we cry or we numb, which is where addictive behaviors come into place. And we've got a ton of people in the military, for example. I'll tell you what, they're not drug or alcohol addicts. They're work addicts. They're workout addicts. They are fitness to the point that they will neglect their friends, their family, their mental health, yeah. their emotional health, their spiritual health, because they just want to be jacked all the time. That's an addiction, right? So we deny, we cry, we numb, and we run, which is now because the the initial high from that first addiction wears off. Now we just move on to that next thing. So we yeah. start running from one trauma right into the arms of another trauma. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we do this. And some people run their whole lives from trauma to trauma, from crisis to crisis. Right. And we've got a whole group of people called Christians right now in our churches, especially some of there's a subset of the churches 
where they're taught this idea that brokenness is good, that that fragility, that we're supposed to be broken before the Lord. And there's this idea of every Christian song nowadays on pop radio is about like, in my lowest of lowest, God, you saved me. And meanwhile, they're driving around in a you know $55,000 yeah. SUV. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, like, God doesn't want us to be broken. He wants us to be a blessing. Like, he doesn't want us to constantly exist in this place where we're so desperate for um, – emotional and mental and spiritual health that we don't have the capacity to help anyone else right on. like yeah we need to be we need to be surrendered but that's different than broken yeah, absolutely you know what i mean those are two different things two totally different things you know talk to pow's they've 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 surrendered because they had to because they were being held at gunpoint you know not surrendered you know i mean they've been held captive but they didn't they're not broken they're still there and so i don't know i just think that's one of the messages that worries me a little bit right now that i see and a lot of the new books coming out is there's this almost glamorization of the attention-seeking behavior associated with I've experienced trauma. Yeah. And I see this on TikTok all the time. Um, and it, it breaks my heart because I say, you're inviting something in your life that other people who actually had it would do anything not to have it. And you're excited because it's going to get you some likes on a post. Yep. And it's like, come on now. Come on. Let's be better. Let's be better people. With love, not with anger, but with truth and <laughs> grace. Let's be better. Right Let's on. be better than that. And that message does not go over with young adult groups I speak to. It's like, right, <sighs> right, right. You know, and it's like you're judgmental. You're shaming me, and I'm like, no, I'm not shaming you. I'm you're telling giving you perspective. Me <laughs> yeah, per yeah, exactly. No, I've been told that sometimes. It's perspective, right? You've not lived long enough to really know trauma yet in some cases, or if you have, then let's talk about healing it. But just saying, oh, woe is me, my life is terrible, look how bad I have it, that's not healing. Yeah. If anything, trauma is contagious and it's going to spread. Yep. Just like addiction is contagious in a home. Just like neglect, poverty, abandonment, rejection, uh, poor ability to grieve, anger, resentment, yep. unforgiveness, bitterness. These are all contagious attributes that, that foster when we surround ourselves with people like that. Yep. And, that's, uh, and that's a dangerous thing. That's why what you're doing and what we're doing works. You surround yourself with people who say we can do better. We got to do better. Got to do better. We got to. Now, I'm going to be respectful of your time. So, what do you guys have coming up this 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 month? Do you do anything special because of the month? We do a few things. We released actually a special web series. If people want to go check it out, it is called the Great Cover Up, and it's actually a four part free web series right now that we release on spiritual abuse. Ooh. I know there's a lot of people who they don't go to churches, they don't belong in faith communities because they've experience some level of narcissism. I spoke about that this morning, so definitely want people to check okay. that out. Yeah, it's totally free. They can find it on our Facebook account. They can go to our, or the best place to go though is a website, coverup.rebootrecovery.com, coverup.rebootrecovery.com. They can check it out there. They can find us on Instagram and Facebook as well, Reboot Recovery. Uh, the other thing is our book is available for pre-order now on Amazon, the, the paperback. Um, go order that at, uh, it's called Healing What's Hidden by Evan and Jenny Owens and healing what's hidden. It technically comes out in September, but it's available for pre-order now. So have them go order that. And that book really walks through the four wounds of trauma, uh, the soul wounds of trauma, how to heal them, how to build safety, stability, and support after you've been through some of the worst days of your life. I tell people if they said, if I had to summarize the book in one sentence, it would be, it's a good book for the worst days of your life. There you go. I like That's that. a book you should have on your shelf. Um, and so, um, yeah, man, that's the places they should go check out. 
That is awesome. I think um, I know my book comes out before yours. And so when I'm out promoting mine and people are like, what should we do? I'll be like, my friend has a book coming out in a couple of months where he actually tells you what to do. Mine just tells you this is how screwed up everything is. So <laughs> everything's nice. jacked up. I didn't get into the whole how do you deal with it part. So I'll no, I get yours it, man. for you, man. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, uh, yeah again, cover.rebootrecovery.com cover if they want Absolutely. to do the spiritual abuse thing other than healing what's hidden on Amazon. Awesome. Evan, thank you so much for your time, brother. I really appreciate you and we'll have to connect again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate your listeners uh, letting us, letting us ramble here. So thanks. Awesome, dude. See you. Bye.